Hello, and welcome to Let's Have a Chat Podcast with your host, Edgar Salinas. Today's going to be a great episode. We have Mr. Jacob Walker, who joined us on this episode. We talked about Jurassic Park. We talked about how it still holds up to this day. And we talked a little about the upcoming movie, Jurassic World Dominion, again, which is going to be a great movie. No spoilers in this episode. But in future episodes, we're going to talk about The Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, and Jurassic Fallen Kingdom. Uh, we talked about future movies and how... Jurassic Park, the film series, is it going to be going for future movies or is this the final chapter? Again, a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to Let's Have a Chat podcast with your host, Edgar Salinas. Today we have our lovely guest. We have Jacob Walker. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? Great. Hey, first of all, I want to thank you. Thank you for making time to, you know, talk to me on this beautiful, beautiful day. You know, I really appreciate you. Better to be indoors right now because right now it's too hot. <laughs> hey, uh, believe me, believe me, hey, but that uh, energy bill is going up thanks to the AC. But I'll le- I mean, the good thing is that we're staying cool. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Jacob, how familiar are you with the Jurassic Park series? You know, we we have Jurassic World Dominion coming up tomorrow, June tenth. I already got my tickets, but I want to know how familiar you are with the franchise. So, watch the first three, and you know. I've watched the first Jurassic World. I haven't caught up with the last couple of Jurassic Worlds in a while. But um, generally enjoy the universe that's created. You know, it's very interesting to me that it's based off a book. Um, I find it so interesting how many movies that are popular today have been based off of some type of novel. I mean, obviously Jurassic Park, one of those big ones. But you consider movies like even Rambo, First Blood was based off a book. Uh, Forrest mm-hmm. Gump's based off of books. So all these different movies based off of book. It's really interesting as somebody who likes to read. Um, but Jurassic Park is always just been kind of a, a really interesting film. It's been a great way to showcase effects that have even lasted through to the day. I mean, you know, especially the original Jurassic Park in, in the 90s. You, know, you go watch that. Some of those effects hold up today very well. And obviously there's some that could use some improvement. But, you know, overall you get a really nice package there and, and it's something that um, I think that most people would enjoy. Yeah. Jurassic Park 1993. What were you? 1993. What were you? Uh, um, in the figment of somebody's imagination, I'm sure. Cause I, I don't want to agree with that. I was born 94, but 94, <laughs> um, you know, speaking about Jurassic Park and how it's held up to this day, I think it's a cold classic. You know, you've seen yeah. the iconic moment where the T-Rex is walking and you see the little, cup of water with the little ripples and i think you you've seen the spoof of that in many movies whether it's a cartoon or maybe an anime or other movies where they look at the cup and they see like you know something walking towards them and i think you know they did a great job with that scene that holds up to this day and you i believe they were right. now correct me if wrong they were not using real dinosaurs right as far as i'm aware okay i mean the animatronics are great as well yes i mean absolutely. the animatronics and I, I forgot where I saw this, but I believe the sound of the T-Rex roaring was a mix of all these animal sounds mixed together. I don't know if you've heard that. I don't know if I've heard that, but that sounds like something that's probably true. You know, um, I'm really fascinated always with the sound directors and, and these people that create these awesome sounds in the movies. And, and the movie sounds really awesome. I mean, when we talk about sounds in the movie, you have to talk about John Williams and a score. You have mm-hmm. to talk about that mm-hmm. iconic scene when they're coming to the island. Da, 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 da. I mean, you have to. You, oh, well, hold up! We don't want to get copyrighted. Just hold it up there. <laughs> I know my my uh, artistic uh, vocals just are obviously uh, too close. I'm just kidding. Um, but the 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 soundtrack makes that movie fantastic too. And I know we're jumping around a little bit. You were talking about the the effects, but I mean, like you said, sounds fantastic. And and from the sounds of the dinosaurs to the music that you hear at key points, I mean, it definitely makes this movie one of those that you can always watch and, 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 and get enjoyment out of. Correct. Correct. And you know, they're dealing with animatronics. So I would like to know how the actor gets into that state of mind to pretend that this, you know, animal is real, that fear and, you know, speaking of how they get into that mindset. I mean, looking at the movie itself, especially that one scene where the two Jeeps are there, you know, nothing's working you feel afraid, you, even though it's fake. You know, these things are fake, but they did a real good job of making it come to life. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Well, definitely. And then that was kind of the first big reveal of the uh, – well, maybe the first big reveal, but definitely kind of this big reveal of the T-Rex as kind of – I would 
not say the antagonist, but definitely this force that these uh, characters are going to have to deal with, you know, from the water rippling to, you know, you kind of see them kind of coming through in the darkness. I mean, yeah, you get a sense of terror, like, oh, man, you know, the power's out, you know, mm -hmm. something's coming. What is it? Oh, it's this dude and uh, or it's not mm -hmm. this dude, but this uh, terrifying creature who, you know, who apparently is based off of a movement. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Um, and again, they did also a real good job of making, you know, it's the same scene, but the two Jeeps, I felt like there was different feelings in each one. Of course, you had them with the kids. They were afraid. They were young. They didn't know what to do. And yet you had the other Jeep with the more experienced, you know, um, I think in the anthropod, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Uh, Dr. Grant was, um, I know he was uh, excavated for the fossils. I may be mispronouncing the word. Um, Anthropologist? Anthropologist? Oh, paleontologist. I think oh, if, okay. if you're talking about uh, researching dinosaurs, usually it's, or not dinosaurs specifically, but fossils, usually it's your uh, paleontologist. Paleontologist, correct. And that's why you get the big bucks. That's why you get the big bucks. But again, there are two Jeeps, two different mindsets, two different experiences. And every time the camera would cut and go to a different Jeep, you can feel the, the fear from the kids. You know, Dr. Grant and Ian were more relaxed in the Jeep. He already knew what to do. And again, they did a real good job with that as well. You know, the more more of a, like the fatherhood. You know, these guys know what to do. The kids are like, you know, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. So I think they did a real good job of that as well. Absolutely, and and I think that you know, it uh, beyond the experience factor, I think it does a good, it does a great job at showcasing how these actors are able to take these roles and give you that presence right and you were talking earlier about how they you know possibly could get emulate these feelings with something that's really not there but you know you, you think about scenes like and i know we're going to jump to a different movie here think about a scene like from uh, aliens where mm -hmm. the chestburster scene nobody on the nobody on the set knew that was going to happen except for the guy it happened to so mm -hmm. those type of instances are amazing where it's authentic but then you get some of these actors that are really fantastic at putting up a a, a, a portrayal of what, uh, you know this true genuine fear, and uh, uh, that's what I think makes some of these actors who were on here fantastic. You know, Jeff Goldblum is not his first foray into a, a thriller, not really mm -hmm. scary movie, but definitely like a thriller type movie. Um, this is not his first one in that, and and he's you know always demonstrated an ability to act in that good regard and then everybody else who who was there did a fantastic job there so i think they do a good job of selling it and that's why as an audience member i think that we can also feel the same fear that they're feeling correct correct so almost reaching 30 years since the first jurassic park movie what do you think this movie contains that makes it hold up for many 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 years to come i think you got to talk about the effects number one because i mean it's it's just really this good movie where there's a good blend of those practical and, and CGI effects. You know, this is before CGI really became too much more mainstream. So you get to appreciate a lot more of those practical effects. You know, um, it's funny. I was seeing the article the other day talking about how the the Black Adam movie coming out was, was talking about how, oh, a lot of our effects are going to be practical effects. And it's just interesting that today we're talking about more practical effects than movies went, you know, go back 30 40 years ago a lot of our movies are going to be more practical effects but you know because of those practical effects and even those cgi effects you know there's some scenes that don't hold up the scene that comes to mind is when they have the the brachiosaurus on the field that kind of looks a little rough sometimes but i mean when you get to those close-up scenes with those velociraptors and the t-rex it, it genuinely looks like a, a high quality uh, uh effect and I mean, that's one of those things that holds up, you know, kind of like when you go back to Jaws, even older than that, you know, the, the animatronic shark. I mean, you think about how many problems with that, but it it looks fantastic even today. And then, you know, obviously, like I said, the music, I mean, this is one of those you can go back and watch the movie just for the music and appreciate the, you know, the, the way that John Williams is able to build you know, an emotion. I think that's also where the emotions of fear come in is that subtle score in the background that that tugs at your heart a little bit to make you feel that that intense fear you know and, and john williams is fantastic obviously star wars is 
you know something he's well known for but you know you, get, you gotta look at some of this stuff like jurassic park to see like he's he's always been a fantastic composer and i think he you know and you have a lot of his influences today so correct correct now i believe most of the jurassic park movie was mostly practical effects i believe the only cgi maybe not the only one but that one scene where they see all those dinosaurs running at them in the field i believe that was the i think not the only cgi movie uh scene but again they mostly relied on those uh, practical effects and i don't know if you saw the screen capture or the screenshot of of the blue beetle are you familiar with the blue beetle um, the I'm familiar with it. i don't know if i've seen it yeah, well, his suit is going to be, you know, practical as well. So it's funny that you brought up the that we're going back to that practical effects, you know, not relying too much on CGI. Uh, the reason why I feel we don't we're not relying too much on CGI anymore is because, you know, we as the the fan base, the audience members, we often catch something where they're on the trailer. It's like, oh, look, look at this. You know, this looks horrible, you know. And, you know, since we're still talking about comic books, the She-Hulk trailer got a lot of heat because of all the CGI they were using on that. So maybe that's why they're like, hey, look, let's go back to using more practical effects and, you know, some CGI here and there. That way we can all make everybody happy and make it an enjoyable experience for everybody. Well, you know, and then in that regard, right, it, it really shows, it's because in the early, in the, you know, during the 2000s, 2010s, as we start to learn more about CGI and use it more, I mean, films started to use it religiously, but they were using it in the ways that almost that looked too artificial. So, a movie that jumps out to my mind is The Thing, right? You have the original Thing from the 1980s, and then you have the remake of The Thing. In the 1980s, that's John Carpenter's version. You've got all practical effects. It looks fantastic. It looks gory. It looks disgusting, and it looks real. You go to the 2010 remake, and or at least, sorry, not remake, the prequel. And it swapped to more CGI effects, and you can tell they just don't look authentic. The blood doesn't look authentic. The you know it it's makes it a lot harder as an audience member to get into the film when you look at an effect and say, "Oh, that's not real." You know, you know it's not real, but that's where the suspension of disbelief comes in as an audience member. You have to, you have to, the 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 effects designers has to be able to make mm-hmm. it to where. Yes, I know this isn't real, but this looks like it could be, and that's where those that's where the dinosaurs really, you know, have a lot of impact is because they do look real, and I think that you know, I think that that's one of those legacies of of the movie is that yeah, the, these practical effects are amazing and they hold up today because they look real. Um, I haven't seen the Jurassic World movie in a, in a while, but I do feel like I remember. That that dinosaur was a C, was an it was a CGI dinosaur, and I do feel like you can see a difference, and not a major difference, but I mean, still, it's it's one of those you you kind of compare. One of them just looks more real than the other, and and to be fair, with the Jurassic World one, the plot has that dinosaur be a little bit different, but still, it it it, it for me doesn't hold up in the same way as uh, you know Jurassic Park. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know. I do appreciate that we're going back to practical, and I'm fine with it just being a a blend, right? I'm fine with it being a blend of as, as a personal audience, as a personal film goer, I like it when it's a blend of CGI and practical because I think you got to have the practical, but it's also realistic to have those CGI at key moments. So, like like in the Steam Stampeding Triceratops, it would make no sense to have practical animatronics for every single one of those dinosaurs running by. Um, but, you know, you want to have practical at those key moments to help sell it to your audience what's on the screen that at least comes across as real. Agree. I agree. I completely agree. And the reason I like Jurassic World, the one that came out in 2015, was it just, it, to me, it was a breath of fresh air. You know, it, it brought it into present time. You know, what would it be if these dinosaurs... And I know in the, the Lost World, we did have that one T-Rex in the city, but I think... Jurassic World did a better job of, you know, improving with the present times. And I just kind of felt like, and I, I mean, I, maybe I'm not the only one, but I, when I was a kid, I was like, man, what if dinosaurs were real? You know, what if people were here? What if they were there? You know, what would happen? Would they be in a zoo? And that's what kind of, well, not kind of, but that's exactly what Jurassic World did. You know, it made it into a zoo and an amusement park. And, you know, what would happen with either the petting zoo with the small dinos or where, where they were in the, in the, gyrosphere going around making sure how 
where, where all these dinosaurs were. And I think they did a real good job. And it's the same thing when they put the sharks in a certain area in the ocean. They did a real good job of putting all these bad dinosaurs, not bad dinosaurs, but like, you know, the predators of the movie into certain areas. And I, I think the plot of the movie was great. You know, hey, we're going to, and like any other movie, they start testing on whether or not supposed to. And you kind of have this thing in your head, like, oh, what's going to go wrong? And uh, that suspense of, and you know, I'm talking about the scene where they go inside to see if the dinosaur was still there, but it kind of used like a, a camouflage self-defense thing where you couldn't see it anymore. I, I think that did a real good job of bringing up this suspense. Calling back to the scene where the T-Rex was walking in the little, you know, cup and you see like the movements of the T-Rex. So I think they did a real good job on that callback. Like what's suspense? Where's it at? I can't find it. I think they did a real good job on that. And Chris Pratt, you know, great actor, great actor, you know, great for the MCU as well. I think doing a real good job with this franchise as well. And I think he is the Dr. Grant of the Jurassic World, you know, 2015 onward. I think they do a real good job of hyping up those movies, bringing up those movies and giving that sense of realism towards the movies. And I think that's why it'll be interesting looking at this new movie. They're going to have them interacting together. It's going to be really interesting to kind of see, you know, it's not really quite the protege and the master type thing, but you're going to have these two characters who, yeah, they both been kind of set up to be as the leads of their individual franchises. So it's, it's kind of one of those, um, you know, it's kind of one of those, like if you're in boxing and you want to see Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson mm-hmm. go against each mm-hmm. other, you want to see Dr. Grant and Chris Pratt's character interact with each other and see how they're going to work. Are they going to get along with each other? Are they going to, going to disagree? What's going to happen when they disagree? And, you know, who's going to come out on top? You know, and, it's, and, I, and I, it sounds like I'm phrasing it like a front fight. I'm not, but... Um, I think that there is still going to be some of that. You're going to have those old fans and they're saying, oh, Dr. Grant's better. You're going to have the new fans come in and say, oh, this guy's better. And it'll just be a good, you know, way to kind of uh, have that conversation um, or at least have that portrayed on screen. And I agree with you. Chris Pratt has done fantastic stuff in acting, you know. Um, you know, he kind of got his real mainstream not- uh, notice from Parks and Recreation. But he's been fantastic in a lot of roles. You know, uh, what comes to mind is Moneyball, obviously the Marvel stuff, and obviously um, the Jurassic World series are kind of his two biggest ones. But, you know, go back to something like a Moneyball where he's, he was not as a well-recognized character, and he still does a fantastic job. It's, it's what I really appreciate about, you know, some of these movies that are getting some of these um, actors that are, are not as well-known. So, and, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that, I think, you hit the nail on the head on about what Jurassic Park and Jurassic World does for its audience members. You know, I think when you think about your your, your kids who watch it, I mean, you got to imagine Jurassic Park and Jurassic World set you know creates this new love of dinosaurs for kids. I mean, you got to imagine dinosaur cells went up off the roof. You know, exactly. fake ones went off mm-hmm. the roof after um, these movies came out. And I w- I would even say there's probably a lot of people who were inspired to learn more about dinosaurs based off these movies because. You want to learn, like, oh, how accurate is this? Is you know, is the Velociraptor really sound like this? You know, in Jurassic World three, that was kind of the 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 their their little thing going on. So you you want to learn a little bit about this, and before you know it, you're you're you know diving down the path of a paleontologist. So I, I think that it's because of those iconic scenes and the icon- iconic story in the movie that it helps create that interest. And um, I definitely agree. Sorry, going back on your other point about Jurassic World, I think it did did do a good job of kind of going back to its roots. You know, um, people didn't like Jurassic World three. People didn't really like Jurassic World two. Um, I'm I'm a I'm in the small uh, minority that actually liked Jurassic Park three, but w- that's also saying that I enjoy movies very easily. Um, when you really look at it compared to the first one, yeah, it's not as high as quality, and that's okay because um, it's still an enjoyable movie to a degree. But Jurassic World does go back and give you some of that Jurassic Park 1 sense. While also, and what it does the best, and I, I'm going to firmly say this, what it does the best is it creates it in, in a new setting. It's, it's you know, the, the island, it's the dinosaurs, but now we have a, a zoo going on. And it creates these whole other ethical questions about it. You know, you know it brings up some of those ethical questions from the first one. You know, should we be doing this? Now we got a zoo, and we're seeing some of the consequences of the zoo. And uh, yeah, I think that it does do that good job of 
tying some of the old stuff in, but bringing some new stuff in that makes it enjoyable for both new and older audiences to enjoy. Correct. I mean, uh, I agree. I agree every bit of that. Now, uh, Jurassic Park, you know, the main actor was Dr. Grant. You know, he was there for the first. wasn't in the second one. I don't know why he wasn't in the second one. Uh, third one did a great job. And we'll, and we'll talk about those first few. We'll, we'll talk about some high points of each of uh, Jurassic Park 1, The Lost World, and 3 again. Big fan of all three. I mean, I love the series. I love what they're doing. But uh, circling back, we said Dr. Grant versus, you know, Chris Pratt and, and that whole what's going to happen, what I think, and again, this is my personal view, my personal opinion, I'm sorry. I think it's going to be like that father, son, hey, kid, this is the way you do it. And then Chris Pratt would be like, no, no, old man, this is the way you do it. So I'm, I'm kind of, that's what I'm seeing as of right now, where Chris Pratt's going to be like, no, this is a new way. This is what's happening. These are, you know, not the dinosaurs that you dealt with, these are like, you know, engineered dinosaurs. So I, I'm kind of excited for that part. So I'm trying to see. So one of two things, either they argue in the beginning, they're like, oh, whatever, whatever. They go the separate ways. And then there's going to be this pivotal part of the uh, pivotal moment in the movie where they like have to get work together to save so-and-so. And it's like, oh, I was wrong about you. And it's like, I was wrong about you too. And then they're like the best friends. So that's what I think about uh, what's going to happen between those two you know, uh, leaders of their own personal series of movies. So let's go ahead and talk about Jurassic Park, uh, you know, 1993. Uh, let's talk about some high points of the movie. You know, right away you were seeing the the scene in the helicopter. I think that was a great scene with the variety of characters that was in there. I think they did a real good job of praying, you know, Dr. Grand as this, you know, different way of thinking compared to the other characters in the helicopter, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure you've seen the Easter eggs of that movie where the seatbelt had two female ends and, you know, he kind of just tied them up together and that's what he ended up doing. I believe that's in the first one. Do you I recall? think so, yes. So I, I think and, they, and I do have to preface, I did not get a chance to watch them all before we started this. But Oh, neither have I. I'm, I'm, I'm going on like you know, what I've seen already. So, you know, lying on the island itself, I think that was a great way, you know, Jurassic Park. And, you know, what I thought when they landed on the island, I thought they were going to see the dinosaurs right away. So I think they did a real good job of hyping up the moment of getting in the Jeep and then taking them to this certain area where the bronchiosaurus was there, you know, walking around the land. So I think they did a real good job of that. So that was a good moment, opening up the scene. And after that, introduction of the one of the, the 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 people that were taking care of the dinosaurs there that hey look he's in charge of the security everything's gonna be great you know samuel L. jackson in that movie as well i think he had a small role in that movie i think his role should have been a little bit bigger and uh, but again iconic death scene don't we don't know what happened to him but you know that iconic you know arm drop in the movie and you know, turn around so i think that was a great great way of not ending a character but it kind of puts if that would happen what happened to him you know what because i know he's like oh i'm gonna go check on the the light system, making sure everything's okay, and they just never came back, you know, to the point we see Ellie going to the electrical system and saying, oh, hey, it's you, and then, you know, making that. I think that was a good, good, good little scene. But high points, for sure, the Jeeps not working anymore. I think that was, like, the cream of the crop of the whole movie. The introduction of the T-Rex, you know, that real fear within the kids. I think that was a real good point in the movie. I put in the movie. I think one of the movies that gets talked about in, you know, in today's times. I definitely agree. Um, you know, like you said, kind of that that whole entrance into the island that you kind of builds. Up, you know, it does a good way of building up. And I'm and I'm glad that they sh set it up in the way where you kind of get comfortable on the island. You know, something's gonna mess up, mm -hmm. but you know, it 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 takes its time to build up to it. it lets you build up it lets you get used to these characters understand who they are and yeah they, they and you know sam neill plays this very believable dr grant like he's he's this intelligent guy he's a thinker and um and i think he also serves as a really good uh, uh i'm gonna say contrast but he just works well with dr ian malcolm at the same time to you kind of see both of these guys who um you know, in some ways play off each other pretty well. Um, but you, I mean, talking about iconic scenes, I mean, the one that really comes to my mind, um, you know, when I think of scenes that are memorable to me, just uh, having not watched in a while, I think about the scene with Dennis where, um, not when he's at the cafe, but, you know, when he's 
come, coming across the dinosaur with the I don't remember the name of the dinosaur, but um, you know, he crashes his Wrangler. Yeah. And yeah. up to this point in the movie, like you know he's kinda doing some stuff, you know, that's not okay. You you know, he's kind of not a nice guy. So you kinda want him to, you kinda wanna see what's gonna happen to him. You almost kinda want not necessarily want him to die, but you know, you wanna see him get a little bit of his comeuppance. Yeah, his comeuppance, and I think his way he gets is a little bit satisfying, but also in a, in a hilarious way too. I mean, he gets the 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 ink in the face, mm-hmm. and he gets back to the jeep, thinks he's safe, turns around, and there's the dinosaur in the seat. And, it, and I think it's done in a way that's both comedic and pleasing for the audience, just because, mm-hmm. like you said, like I said, you know, you kind of want to see him get his you know just desserts, and and I think it's done in a really good way. And you know, unfortunately, you don't get to see a lot more of those dinosaurs, but it's still very interesting. And um, yeah, it just kind of and it kind of great. Uh, great yeah, great scene, great scene. You know, getting the canister ready of Barbasol, which I mean, I'm pretty sure Barbasol had a and you know a huge amount of sales because of that movie. Very kind. I know I had a can of Barbasol. I was you know, and you great. see that video where they're like trying to open <laughs> it at the bottom. Um, yeah. So again, good scene, good scene, very you know suspenseful moment connecting all the the uh, embryos of the dinosaurs and i think that was something that kind of built up to the oh, what is this guy doing he's not supposed to and you know with the whole i i think they did a real good touch with the storm as well you know this big storm coming up i think just kind of you know brought this movie the suspense to the movie a realism like hey look we have this storm coming up we got to get this island and you know, nothing worked anymore. The electricity not working. I think that also brought a suspenseful. So it, it wasn't only just the dinosaurs, you know, it was uh, the storm. It was the electricity. It was this, you know, no communication, what's happening. So I think that did a real good job of separating. Because what I thought, you know, like, hey, using the ready, hey, I'm over here on this part of the island. I think that kind of just solves the whole point of the movie. But I feel getting rid of the communication kind of made it a little more real in sense of the characters. And as far as talking about the movie, I think they did a real good job as portraying the Velociraptors as bad guys, as villains of the movie. And I, I, I don't know if you agree. Again, the Velociraptors, you know, going to hunt and trying to find you, trying to eat you. I think they did a real good job uh, portraying them as bad guys, not really the T-Rex. I, I mean, who, who do you think was the, the bad guy in the movie, the T-Rex or the Velociraptors? And that's the interesting thing, isn't it? You know, I think people think about Jurassic Park, you automatically think about the T-Rex. But really, if you think about it, most of their conflict came against those Velociraptors. You know, you think about the scene in the kitchen, that really suspenseful scene with the Velociraptors hunting for the kids. And it's, you know, that was more intimidating than anything the T-Rex did. Like, yeah, you know, they could potentially crush me and, he, you know, he's probably going to eat me if I sit in the bathroom. But um, I think that there's something a little more intimidating about all of these different beings who are, who are the, the story eventually makes them intelligent by Jurassic Park 3. They're these intelligent beings mm-hmm. that have strategy mm-hmm. and they have these communication abilities, which makes sense in the first one. But by the third one, they become even more of this antagonist. So, yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, if we're talking about iconic villains, it's silly. It's funny to think of them as a villain. But I, I think that that's probably the, the more impactful villain out of, out of this film is those Velociraptors ba- just based on you know, I feel like there's just a little bit more suspense and fear within there because they're smaller, right? You know, yes. the T-Rex, you're kind of in, you're safe inside a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. he he could step on the building, but he's gonna probably just go off his own way. And he's and the T-Rex arguably has a silly flaw in that. Oh, well, he's not gonna see me if I don't move. But these Velociraptors don't have that foil. They don't have that weakness. And although they're smaller, they're coming in greater numbers. I think that makes them a little bit more terrifying because there's not a clear way to just get rid of them. And correct, so correct. I, I, I think that's what makes them a more impactful and interesting antagonist compared to, say, the T-Rex. You know, that, that's what I think. No, I mean, great point, great point. And I think the T-Rex did a great job in that one scene, uh, you know, chasing them in that in, in the Jeep. You know, you had... Dr. Malcolm in the back, you know, heard, hit, hit the gas, hit the gas. And looking at the side view mirror there, you know, objects in mirror may be bigger than they appear. And again, that's another thing that I feel most movies decided to take away as a little spoof. You know, we saw it in Toy Story. I believe it's Toy Story 2 where Doc, uh, not Dr. Ham, Ham looks at the side view mirror and he's like, uh, objects in mirror may be close to anything. You see like T-Rex, they're trying to, you know. So I think that was another good movie. And I feel that's what 
not only did we have these great animatronics, but I feel this movie made a lot of scenes that can last many, many years. And, you know, for people to spoof them and like, hey, look, this is what's this is from Jurassic Park or this is from this. And I think they did a real good job on that. And as far as, you know, going back, talking back to the antagonist, I think the only bad thing that the T-Rex did was attacking the kids in the beginning. But I feel if they wouldn't have used that flashlight, you know, that distraction, I think the T-Rex would have been like, okay, you know, nothing to see here. You know, but the movement, you know, you had the gentleman running into the bathroom, another great scene, another great scene there, suspense. And, you know, you kind of think once he closed the door, oh, he's going to, he's safe, he's okay now. Nope. And, you know, he ends up being, you know, dinner for the T-Rex. Um, and I believe this T-Rex, is it a female or a male? I want to say. I don't know if you remember. Because I, I know he said. Head, I'm thinking female. Yeah, because I know there was a point in the movie where they transition from like male to female to some specific dinosaurs. So I'm I'm trying to remember that was a a scene in the in the movie. But I don't I don't think um, they say I don't think they say. I want to say if that scene happens, I want to say that might be in one of the future ones. I don't know if it happens in Jurassic Park one. I want to say I recall that being some type of plot in actually Jurassic World. To be honest with you, mm, okay. um, what I wanted to actually also touch on is is the way that this film does. You know, thinking about those antagonists, I think what makes this film really well made is that it brings in some of those scary movie uh, uh, beats as well, right? You know, thinking about how you're disconnected, how you don't have communication, no power. Think about some of these common slasher movies like Friday the 13th, thinking about, you know, Nightmare on the Street, kind of the same thing going on there, right? You're, you're in a camp and you have no connection to the outside world. And this omnipotent force is chasing you and is trying to, you know, uh, kill you. I, I think that this film does a good job of like taking some of those tropes and and you know desensitizing them a little bit to make it more appealable to a younger audience, but still making it terrifying for an audience for an adult audience sometimes as well. Or maybe not terrifying, but suspenseful for an adult audience as well. You know, again going back to that kitchen scene, like if you put Freddy, if you put uh, if you put Jason Voorhees in that exact same scene, it would be believable of him going through the kitchen looking for his victims. It, it, if you mm -hmm. put Jason Voorhees in that exact same scene, I think it's just as believable as the Velociraptors there. And that's what I think makes this movie so appealing as well, is the fact that it hits those multiple beats on top of it being this kind of adventure story, on top of it being this, you know, uh, uh, hypothetically interesting situation. It has it has beats that both adults and children can find interesting, mm -hmm. and for children, it's their foray into do I like scary movies in a way, or is this something I don't really enjoy? And you know, obviously, and, and I think this kind of goes on there with Jaws as well, right? You know, even though both of these movies are rated about PG PG thirteen, um, mm -hmm. Jaws is kind of the same way, and you know, obviously another Steven Spielberg movie, but <clears throat> kind of the same idea, right? You're you're in the middle of the ocean, no contact to the outside world. You have this force that's trying to kill you, and you know you have to figure out your solution and how you're going to deal with it. And I, I think that's what you know. It's one of those things that Steven Spielberg has done well, and then that's what those movies have that makes them stand out a little bit more. I think. Now, I think Steven Spielberg did a great job of having multiple antagonists in this film, whether it was you know sealing the embryos, creating the island with these dinosaurs, the T-Rex, the Velociraptor. I feel there was multiple antagonists, and I just felt I feel that's a great way to get the audience engaged, whether you don't agree with his views, you don't agree what he's doing, or hey, look, he's just trying to make some money, and you know, he's already he's already creating the dinosaurs, and why not just take a couple and make some money, whether it's a T-Rex, a Velociraptor. I think it had a multiple antagonist, and you know, I think it was a great way to see who's going to likely win at the very end. And, you know, at the end, you know, you had that iconic scene with the T-Rex roaring and, you know, you had the banner falling in the back, Jurassic Park. And, you know, I think that made a great, great ending scene for the whole movie. And then it got you wondering what's going to happen next. You know, they're going to shut down the island. And shutting down the island and I think the Lost World, the Lost World, I felt, didn't get in a lot of hype just because it kind of, I felt it went a different way compared to what Jurassic Park was trying to do. You know, Jurassic Park, hey, look, we have this amusement park for the kids. And then the Lost World was like, okay, now we're going to go ahead and go into the island and see what's going to So I, 
if if I could have seen it done a different way, I would have gone. I would have done Jurassic Park and then kind of lead into Jurassic World, which is what they wanted to do in the first place. Get this amusement park going. So I know the Lost World and Jurassic Park three is a cameo, but it kind of looking at the whole timeline of the films, uh, I just feel it's like part you know part one, hey amusement park for kids, family yada yada. Uh, part two, Lost World, we got to go find somebody. Jurassic Park 3, hey, we're going to find somebody still. And then the Lost World, it's like, hey, look, this is a Disneyland kind of event we got going on. So I kind of, I don't know why they decided to jump in that way to, into all these films. Well, you know, in that thinking, man, it makes, I mean, oh, where, where I, do you I think? see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from, right. And I... I, I, so going back to kind of your first thing, right, the idea of the multiple villains, I think that it makes it to where there's an argument to be had every time of, you know, you can have a conversation with somebody about, you know, who is ethically in the right here? Who is the real bad guy? Here? Are the dinosaurs the bad guy? Or is it the guy like Dennis who just wants to make a profit off of the eggs? And you get that same type of uh, feeling in the Jurassic World, right? You have the uh, main dinosaur. And it's like, well, he's going around killing everybody, but is he really the bad guy? Because these other people basically genetically engineered him, and they're refusing to close the park, even though they know this dinosaur is coming closer to the park. So I think that that's one of those... I, I appreciate films that have those moral dilemmas that really make you reflect on, like, huh, who really is the bad guy here? And, you know, you might have different opinions every time you watch it. You might You might look at it one time and say, no, it's definitely... The dinosaurs, but then another time you look at it, say no. I think the humans kind of messed up here. Um, you know, you kind of think about you know that uh, uh, Ian Malcolm scene. You know, we never stop to think about if we should, right? So, um, and then you know, as far as the arc goes, with you know, starting as this this initial idea going towards a park with the three and two in between, I think that it to a degree it may make sense. You know, I think two. I think you alluded to earlier too was this idea was potentially this probe of interacting would people want to see the dinosaurs interacting with people um because you know Mm -hmm. you get that scene of the the t-rex in uh, new york i believe or at least in the city Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um so you have that but then in jurassic park 3 it returns to the island you have these dinosaurs running loose on the island and there are still some implications that are to be left from it right like you have you know the, this, this 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 dad and his son go too close to this island, and that's one of the consequences from the first movie. Is like these dinosaurs are now untamed, and so if you get too close, I mean you're you you run the risk of, of course, yes. dinosaurs. And so I think that to a degree it makes sense, and then you know it makes sense for Jurassic World to come in. Maybe if somebody got some people involved to come in and kind of tame it. I mean, I would say it's not necessarily out of the realm of, person, of uh, possibility, but then you have the question when you watch Jurassic World, it's like, well, wait a second. The last time we watched this movie, these dinosaurs were roaming free. You know, how, how did you tame a T-Rex? How did you capture and, you know, subdue a T-Rex and all these other dinosaurs? So, yeah, I think that there are potentially more plot holes created from the story. But I think those plot holes may exist either way because I think at the end of Jurassic Park 1 with those dinosaurs roaming free, I think you would have still had that same potential plot hole as like how did they get there? Um, and that's a question that may never get answered and maybe it doesn't have to. Maybe it's, it's you know, the, it's a question that doesn't need to be answered because it leaves us having a conversation versus, you know, if, if they answered it, kind of like, you know, thinking about going back to Star Wars. So think about Star Wars, right? You know, think about they answer the story of Darth Vader's origin story. I mean, people don't aren't always happy about what they actually hear. You know, the, the, sometimes the question is more interesting than the answer. Correct, and I feel it's one of those things that maybe shouldn't be answered because that's how you get the the fan base going, uh, discussion wise. And I think they do a really good job of keeping those unanswered questions to make sure there's hype for the next movie hype for you know upcoming movies or you know whether it's a a blog or a comic-con event where it's like what what happened at the end of this why did it end this way why do you feel it went from here to here and you know talking about the last world you know part two and i want you to take a quick moment i want you to think back of how you felt about dr grant 
in that first movie. How did you feel about him as a character, as a main character in that movie? Take, take a couple of seconds. Did you did you appreciate not only his acting skills, but who he was portraying in the movie? The, the leader, the father figure for these kids, you know, the thinker, the one that always had an idea, a, a way to get out, doesn't matter what situation they were in. I want you to think about how you felt as an audience member watching him in the big screen or, you know, VHS, I believe you, you saw it on VHS or maybe on, on TV. How did you feel about that character? Did you feel any connection whatsoever towards that character? I think that, so like I said earlier, I think that, you know, Sam Neill played a great character there. He, I think he was believable. I like that he was a down to earth person. And in a way, maybe he kind of represents the audience because we've all been there as an audience member looking at a person on screen saying, why did you do that? Why would you do that? You should do this, you know? And I think that to some degree, that may be what Doug Grant was intended to be, um, was, was this either representation of the audience or maybe, you know, a very popular trope in books is to, is the, as the author will put themselves in a character in a book. So, so, um, uh, Stephen King is really well known for this. A lot of his characters or at least a lot of the main characters end up being a, a variation of him. So, you know, think about, <clears throat> um, you think about The Shining, Jack Nicholson, and he talks about how in The Shining, it's kind of a symbolic representation of his, his battle with alcohol versus, you know, something like, um, something like uh, It, you know, the character of Bill is intended to represent um, Stephen King in a way because he grows up to be this author, this horror writer, so, um, I, th I mean, this could be, that could be what Dr. Grant's intended role is, is not only being that, that father figure, that, that voice of reason, but maybe that connection with the audience of, okay, we're the logical people here. We understand that something's not right here and, um, you know, we can help make those intelligent decisions. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're kind of learning along with him about, you know, what's going on and specifically helping or you're in some ways thinking about those same decisions. So I, I would say that's what Dr. Grant's role is in a way, you know, you know, you think of a lot of, a lot of main characters or, or some main characters that don't always give that same perception, you know, um, thinking, going back to uh, comparisons to horror movies, right. You know, you get a lot of these characters that generally aren't as intelligent, generally, you know, are, are less, are basically just written so they could die. Um, so your right. overall connection with the character, would you, would you say you were relating to the character? You, he was intriguing? Or what, what is something that made you connect to Sam Neill's character in Jurassic Park? Well, I would say it's just somebody just fascinated by... I mean, as a kid growing up, I was always fascinated by dinosaurs, not to the degree that I wanted to go study it. But, you know, dinosaurs are cool, right? So... He was that interesting character, like he's this guy that's full of wisdom. And I think, like I said, I think to, to the degree, I think that most audience members probably connected with him in the sense that he was supposed to be the voice of reason. He's that guy that says, hey, look, this is not a great idea. And I think to some degree, Ian Malcolm had that too, right? Uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character, I think he had a little bit of that too. Whereas like, this is not a good idea. We shouldn't be doing this. But, you know, I think that because of that, that, that skeptical sort of like, he's basically saying what all of us would be saying during the movie, which is, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. This might not be the most ethical decision for us to do right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're talking about Dr. Grant, Dr. Malcolm. Um, let's talk about Ellie, who was played by Laura Dern. Uh, she was a female of the three that got on the island. Uh, why do you feel most people don't talk about that character? Uh, as far as like you know, I mean Jurassic Park franchise. Why do you feel she's not spoken enough about you know throughout this whole series of movies? How, why do you think Ellie's one of the most commonly forgotten about characters? Why do, why do you feel that is? And that's a great question. You know, um, I think there's a couple reasons that could be. First of all, I think that when you consider that most of these other characters did have a recurring role in some other films. I do know that Ellie did return in Jurassic Park 3, but she didn't have as big a role in Jurassic Park 3. Which I was sad about. I was sad right, about. Yeah, you know, so I, I think that could be a part of it is that if you watch the whole series, if you watch the whole um, trilogy or at least the full series of Jurassic Park, then um, I think you get a little bit... I, I feel like that's for me just because I watch more of it. 
when I think of those characters, those are the people that stick out. And it's not that I didn't like Ellie. It's just that, you know, I've had more interactions with, you know, Dr. Grant and Dr. Malcolm. And so those characters kind of stick out to me just a little bit more based on uh, those aspects. Um, but I mean, she does also play a, a good role in the series. And, and, and I think that she probably does res- deserve a little bit more attention. But I think that ultimately it will be, it will come down to these other individuals like John, uh, you know, uh, not John, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character and Sam Neill's character. They just had more interactions with the audience. Like, for example, um, you know, some people's first movie might have been like Jurassic Park 3 or Jurassic Park 2, where Ellie wasn't even really a main figure. Or even you go back to Jurassic World and, you know, I mean, I know Dr. Grant and Ellie aren't mentioned in there either. But, you know, I think that it's just that kind of um, repetition with those characters. And you get to see more of those characters. So I hope she makes a comeback in this upcoming movie. I hope they give her a bigger role. Maybe that's why we and you have a great, great point there. You know, you had Optimum the first one. You had Dr. Malcolm, Jeff Goldman, the second one. You had Dr. Grant coming back for that third one. And, of course, Ellie did come out in that small little scene. Did she also show up in the beginning of the movie? Do you remember? If she, she showed, showed up, up in the beginning, movie? he goes to her house to Correct, try yes. to, I think, to try to convince her to go with him. And yeah, you can yeah. tell she has a little bit of PTSD from the first movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. she's like, yeah, no, we can't make that happen. But she had, she had a kid, so. She had a kid. Husband, she has a husband. She a kid, which, she husband. it is really good that that husband connection did help out later in the film for them to get off the island, which definitely you, we could talk correct, about that. Correct. I was yeah. kind of sad they didn't end up together. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we, if we have any Dr. Grant and Ellie fan bases out there. I'm pretty sure there is, but I was kind of upset that they didn't end up being together. There the may have been movie. also some backdoor stuff. You know how there's always con- con- contract negotiation type stuff. Mm. You know, I would suspect without looking into the full details, I would suspect that may also be one of the reasons why Ellie did not get a bigger role in three because, mm-hmm. you know, there may have been some type of disagreement between, um, Ellie's character, or Ellie's Cash, actress. Fashion agency. Yeah, you, you never know. Um, those things know. happen all the time, unfortunately. And just, you know, uh, uh, most recently, right, if you're a Futurama person, um, uh, his name's not coming to me right now. I don't know why. But the guy that plays Bender, Bender. he had. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. He, he I saw had. That. Uh, I, I don't know why his name's not coming to me. I, I, if he's, you been ask playing the same, he's been getting paid the same amount, correct? Yeah, yeah something like Which that. Which is yeah. insane. Insane. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, that's a. That's a discussion for another is, yeah. episode. <laughs> you know, contractual discussions or you know what, what's happening into the the world. But hey, uh, voice acting, man. I mean, that's that's something that's always uh, interesting to talk about, and I can't wait to have that discussion with you. Uh, but yeah, that, maybe that's what happened. They're like, hey, look, you were only in this specific scene in the first one. You really, your fan base isn't really there. Maybe Jurassic Park. We're gonna pay you this amount of money, and for you to be in only these scenes. So I'm guessing, hey. Uh, money, you know, you got to pay the bills, right? What are you going to do? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, since hopefully... we're... sorry. No, go ahead. And, and I do want to swing back to, um, we were talking about some of these characters returning in the new Jurassic world. And earlier, I forgot to follow up on this point, but you had mentioned this kind of, um, this prediction you have for the new Jurassic world movie. And I think that should be our next kind of topic as well. Some of these new predictions, but, um, I mean, I think that, I think you probably have uh, an accurate description, you know, I almost said prescription. Um, I think that your prediction of them having that conflict is, it just makes sense from a story perspective as an audience member. We almost don't want them to get along right away because we as audience members may feel a certain type of way about our own character, right? We may feel that Mm -hmm. Grant is superior or we may feel that Grady is superior. And so, that will just reflect the audience. So I was just going to say that I, I wanted to make sure I cl- clarify. I do agree with your prediction, and I, I would also follow that prediction as well. I, as a Perfect. story person, that just kind of makes sense. It's, hey, it's, we, we it, are both big fans of storytelling, and you know we're, we're, we're excited to see what happens. And I would be crushed if Dr. Grant just gets eaten by a T-Rex, crushed, or gets hurt. And uh, you know, that's going to be something. Uh, but uh, like I said, I'm going to watch it tomorrow, bud. No spoilers at all whatsoever uh, to you, my friend. We'll make sure to have the discussion, if, you know, of what the next movie might be about. You know, that way we can talk about it. Uh, but again, Jurassic Park, 
great movie. Uh, I forgot the name of the character, the one of the security with the the gun, Clever Girl. There's another mm-hmm. iconic mm-hmm. iconic scene, Clever Girl, which I still say nowadays. I say Clever Girl, some people don't get right. it, you know. So, <laughs> but again, a very iconic scene. Um, Hold on to I your think, butts. Yeah, yeah, I think he has a bigger fan base and maybe the Ellie character just because of that iconic moment and, you know, you know, that attack with the Velociraptor there. So, I mean, Ellie, what I remember her, what I mostly remember her for is, um, you know, turning the, the breakers back on just that scene that that's what, that's what I feel made her, her role in that movie or what, what other scenes in the movies do you feel like, you know what, Ellie did a real good job here. She did a good job here. I think that's a good one because definitely it, it, it reinforces kind of a little bit of bravery, right? She's taken that, you know, uh, uh, that chance, right? Um, that risk. Yeah, definitely. Um, honestly, a lot of her scenes are not coming to me at the top of my head, but, you know, I, I try, I'm trying to review my notes real quick just to make oh, sure. Oh, and also, also when she takes care of the Triceratops, that right there, I can that kind of put her away from like the action. Maybe that's what that's what we remember as an audience. We just remember the action scene, not that beautiful moment of the human, you know, taking care of the triceratops and you know, very being very intelligent of what what happened to the triceratops, staying there while the storm is happening. I think that kind of gave her this sense of like heroism towards these animals and, you know at the end of the day they're still animals whether you know they died millions and millions and millions of years ago and i just felt that was a great relationship with the human and the dinosaurs that the uh, steven spielberg did a real good job of portraying to the audience but i feel if she would have had more scenes or maybe even stayed with dr grant and the kids i think she would have been remembered more you know as an iconic iconic character of this whole movie franchise so again hopefully they do her justice in this uh, upcoming movie yeah, I think you're right. And then, like I said, you know, I, I'm having a really hard time remembering a lot of her stuff right here. But definitely, you know, thinking back about the Triceratops, I think it appeals to the people who are definitely more caring about animals. You know, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, if we're going to have these dinosaurs in our world, then we have to treat them like animals, just like, or at least treat them kindly as animals in the same way we would treat our other animals. So I think that there's some of that as well. So. Um, I do wish that she had more, just so that way I could remember a little bit more. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That maybe that may be part of the conversation as well. Is like, you know, why were her scenes not as memorable compared to, you know, uh, uh, Grant's or Malcolm's? You know, um, does she get as many one-liners as you know, even clever girl like you said? You know, he's. She's, I, she, I say it at the grocery store. <laughs> I'm telling you, and people are like, "What are you talking about? Um, where do you feel Jurassic Park?" is compared to Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, The Lost World, because I believe that's the last one you saw, correct? Jurassic Jurassic World, that's Jurassic the last Park. one you saw? You know, I think out of all three, I think it, it does stand up the top, just on the basis of it does a really good job of setting up the world. It does a good job of creating this believable, you know, to a degree believable, this believable scenario, and creates a realistic problem for these characters to address. Um, I'm not saying that those other movies don't do that, but maybe even to a degree, these other movies, aside from Jurassic World, these other movies kind of repeat that for me a little bit, you know. Like I said, I like Jurassic Park 3, but they kind of have, an, uh, you know, another similar type of story where, you know, they go to the island, they lose communication, you know, things go wrong, and then, you know, there's even some plot holes there that you can kind of question and, 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 and talk about, which we could definitely talk about that later. But, um, you know, I, I think that it, Jurassic Park just stands atop the entire series on the basis of it sets this world right. And when you think about the influences it's had in society, most of the influences are coming from this movie compared to some of the other ones. You know, for example, like the Clever Girl thing, Older Butts. Um, you know, the one scene that always sticks out of my head is uh, without getting into bad language. We want to be a, a nice podcast, but mm-hmm. when he comes across the giant pile of poop, and then yeah, you, have, yeah. you, have, you have Dr. Malcolm. Yeah, that yeah. Is one hey, big if you know, pile if you know, of, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. One um, big pile of uh, blank. And um, yes. then after that, I would say Jurassic World. For the reasons I described earlier, it takes that formula, but it 
changes it enough to where it's still a new idea for the audience, right? And so that way, as an audience member, whether I've seen all three of them or if I haven't seen all three of them, I can get both get something new and also get a good taste of the Jurassic Park universe and get enough to understand, okay, this is what this universe is about. Um, and like I said, I think you can get that for the other ones, but Jurassic Park, I, I think Jurassic World brings something new to the table that's different from the other two. Is Jurassic Park in your Mount Rushmore of movies, of your favorite movies? Ooh, that's a really Is it up there? That's a really Is it question. up there? I think I would probably say so. I mean, just thinking there? of iconic movies, I, if you had me sit down, you know, if you had me sit down once a month, I probably would have different movies every month. But, mm-hmm. you know, I would say it's up there just because of the, uh, the the legacy of it, you know. Um, even though it was made before we were born and conceived, um, it still is part of our childhood. Um, definitely something I watched when I was a kid. And like I said, just when you think about how it probably impacted children of the time, inspiring them to be interested in learning about dinosaurs, you know, how it impacted pop culture moving forward, how it helped, you know, <clears throat> reinforce practical effects, you know, all those different things. And even, like I said, the legacy today in terms of the practical effects today, the music today, all those things just make it enjoyable to watch at any moment in the same way that i could sit down and watch a forest gump or i could sit down and watch a star wars mm-hmm. any day of the week mm-hmm. and i'll be in, and i'll be i'll be satisfied i could watch lord of the rings any day of the week and i'll be satisfied and i think that that's the same type of thing that just jurassic park does for me or watch uh john cena versus the rock at Absolutely. wrestlemania again and again um so both of them, them both of them are good hey, i'm telling you i'm telling you so we're still on the topic of movie franchises and so the zombie genre, you know how much that was squeezed out. You know, we had so many movies, so many shows. Do you feel we're ever going to reach a moment where the dinosaur theme is eventually played out Played out with? Like we've seen enough shows, we've seen enough movies. Or do you feel just because it's such a, uh, a specific genre, such a beautiful concept of dinosaurs roaming the earth, do you feel we're, we're going to see many, 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 many movies to come? So I think that any idea can potentially be played up oh, played to it's like beating a dead horse right you know you're, you're mm-hmm. i think any movie could reach that anything so will the dinosaurs get there maybe but mm-hmm. in the same way that yeah zombies got there you think of george romero's of the dead series right he was initially releasing one film for every 10 years right you had night of the living dead in the 60s dawn of the dead in the 70s david in the 80s and then you had the remakes but he didn't really make a new one until you know it was Day of the Dead in the 2000s. And then he started releasing more. He, he released at least three more between then and the 2010s. And you just noticed that dip in quality. Plus, by that point, you had, you know, um, you had uh, 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 the other one, the other dead movies. I can't. Shaun, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, Reanimator. Um, I'm think. Uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of where... Uh, yes, yeah, so you have 20 day, 28 days, but I'm specifically thinking of it's the uh, zombie movie where you have to, where like if you cut off their arm, the arm still moves. I can't, I can't think of the name off. It might be. Is it, a, is it a recent movie or? No, it's an older movie. It was. It's an old uh, movie. I, I, I could probably look it up, but, but the point you're, is. You're talking about the one from Spider Man, the character from Spider Man? Maybe. Where he cuts off his hand and it's like a chainsaw now? No, not uh, Bruce Campbell, although that is another one, right? No. Evil Dead is another example, right? I love how we could think about more zombie examples, right? Um, the zombie franchise got overloaded, and I think you even have that today with, like, the Marvel superhero genre, right? You know, I think that, the, you know, one of the common criticisms now of Marvel is that every movie kind of follows the same kind of tropes, and, and I've heard that a number of times, you know? You get those couple yeah. of gems in the you know diamonds in the rough but then mm-hmm. you know especially for origin stories they kind of all kind of follow the same time of formula and it's partially because they release so many of them frequently like i remember phase one where you know the movies were coming out far and few between right yeah 2008 iron man you technically had the incredible hulk even though it's not part of uh of disney at that point you had thor Spider-Man. you had captain america you know, those movies came out more separated from each other, led, leading up to Avengers. 
now it's like we have a new Marvel movie almost every other month. You know, with Thor, for example, right? We just had um, Doctor Strange come out last month, and then I believe Thor comes out this month. So yeah, it, it's yeah. by condensing this timeline between movies, it's gonna it, it's going to help people burn out. So Jurassic Park right yeah. now is doing good at ha- not having so many movies at a time, but <clears throat> again, they're again in the sense that you know if you look at the Jurassic Park series, you know I'm looking at my list here, okay. Um, you know, Park came out in, um, sorry, yeah, so Jurassic 93. Park came out in 93, then Lost World 97, then Jurassic Park 3 came out in 2001, right? That's a pretty considerable, almost 10-year gap between all three movies versus dress between Jurassic World and World Dominion, 2015 to 22, and pretty much, you know, a, only a couple of years between each one, so... Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm fighting uh, allergies right now. But um, I hope we see better. <laughs> um, I, I think that they will. They could eventually get that um, level of, of of burning out. And so, yes, it will eventually happen. But then they'll eventually resurge. You know, I think that yeah. superhero movies had that same type of thing happen before, right? You know, Iron Man was the resurgence of superhero movies after. It was like X Men and Blade and such came out, you know. Um, I, I think that you'll get that, and there there will eventually be a resurgence. Yeah, and like I said, there's only so much you can do with dinosaurs, where they start running out of ideas. And we're we're, we're talking about other movies, you know, Fast and the Furious. It's already in the tenth movie. I mean, what can you do after that? And uh, I don't, I do not know where they're gonna go after, you know. Jurassic World Dominion, you know, the whole interacting with the amusement park after that, what's happening, uh, but what else can you do with dinosaurs? Um, maybe we can see where they start using dinosaurs, like in maybe again war. I think that would be a really good idea, maybe seeing what would happen if we start using dinosaurs in war. I think because I know that was a concept that they kind of dipped in in Jurassic World, trying to use the velociraptors maybe in the, the field of battle. So maybe that's what's going to happen after this movie, going into the war. And after that, it's going to be difficult because because uh, if you start going into the futuristic aspect of it, I feel that's kind of you're going to have a detachment to that. Um, and, and I know there's other there's been other movies in the future that you kind of relate to. You know, uh, Terminator was a good one. Um, but it's, it, I don't know what else you can do after this, man. There's only so much you can do with these dinosaurs unless you put. Vin Diesel with the Velociraptor in a car and a Challenger. I, I, I'm ready to see that movie. Uh, I'm ready I, I to see think, I, as, as somebody who enjoys storytelling and, and you know, and writing stories, I think since they're bringing a lot of these old characters back in, it feels like this needs to be the end, to be honest with you. It just feels like this is where they need to close the book. And maybe it's not going to conclude the dinosaur story necessarily, but anything afterwards should just be fan speculation fan you know what's going to happen next well we're never going to find out you know and that's okay that we don't find out you know i think that people who don't agree with the new star wars trilogy kind of have that same argument like like look you know we didn't know what happened well you had the games and stuff that talked about what happened after you know uh, uh return of a jedi but people didn't necessarily want to see it in a film. And then when they did see it in a film, not everybody was satisfied with the result that came in the film. So I think that it just needs to stop. If someone's going to make a game and someone's going to make, you know, some type of alternative media that adapts and follows it up, that might be fine. Like maybe, uh, you know, take your futuristic dinosaur idea, make it an animated series. It doesn't necessarily have to be a movie. You know, Star Wars, the Clone Wars came out you know, and, and was a, a highly praised series. And it was just a, a way to fill the gap between two and three. And it didn't necessarily have, I mean, it added on to the, to the world, but um, it didn't do it. I don't feel like it did anything to, um, I don't feel like it did anything to drag up the story in a, in a unnecessary way. It feels like if they're going to bring in these characters who are from the past, then that needs to be the end. And then it seems like with these short films, these short films have filled in some of those gaps. 
So that might be their angle next is, okay, let's fill in some of these gaps. Let's take a TV, let's make a TV show talking about how people, you know, I know we say we don't want to answer the question between three and worlds, but maybe the TV show can do that. Maybe the TV show can cover a story of, you know, these mercenaries going into uh, the island and talking about how they were able to deal with these dinosaurs, or, or maybe they went to a different, you know, the, the whole the whole point there is that maybe there's ways that they can do it in a way that, you know, doesn't add to the main franchise, and really, ultimately, those TV shows just become if become a source of, if I'm interested in learning more, I can watch it, but if I'm not interested, if I'm just a main, main movie kind of guy, then I'm not going to have to watch it, and I'm not going to miss anything by not watching it. That's kind of my opinion as a storyteller. And From- I love that. I love how you said that this might be the end, the the ending, you know, the nail to the coffin for the whole movie franchise. And I think it'll be a great way. And like you said, bringing characters from the past, present, putting them together, you know. So I think I, I have to agree with what you just said. This might be the end, the last film for the Jurassic series. Um, but Mr. Jacob Walker, we almost an hour in. We had a great discussion of Jurassic Park, the characters, the storyline, you know, stuff that we liked, stuff we didn't like, stuff we agreed on, disagreed. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for being just a lovely guest. I appreciate you. I don't know if there's any any last minute things you want to say before you head out. No, I think this is a fantastic conversation. And, and, you know, next time I get on here, I'll make sure I watch more Jurassic Park so I can have better things to say. But, uh, We're going to be talking about the Lost World. Uh, I think it's kind of rough right now. It was my fault. You know, it's been a while since I see Jurassic Park, but I think we did a great job. And like I said, I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Mr. Jacob Walker, like always, I appreciate you. You are the best. Have a yeah, beautiful, beautiful day, bud. You too. Let me... Now, Jacob, before you leave, if you can share one positivity... Oh, let me phrase it. If you can share one positive thing with the audience, what would it be, brother? You know, I'm going to be uh, cliche and just tell everybody to stay positive you know thing you know unfortunately there's some negative stuff going on in the world right now but you know the only thing we can control is ourselves and if we can and help ourselves stay positive then you know the world becomes a little bit of a, a better place so that's what i think well guys i hope you guys enjoyed that episode you have mr jacob walker thank you so much for taking some time and joining us on this beautiful episode about Jurassic Park again great guy one of my good friends and i'm just very grateful he took some time to record this episode with me uh, guys, like always, I want to leave you guys with a quote by Steve Jobs. It says, if you are working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. And again, I just feel everybody has that purpose. Everybody has that vision that they're working for, guys. And always keep in mind, you know, always remind yourself of that vision so you can always move forward, guys. Uh, I know Mr. Jacob said that he wants us to be positive, especially during these times, guys. And like always, thank you guys so much for taking some time to listen to this episode. See you guys on the next one. Ha <laughs> ha!